Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Brooke Brady. Welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Happy to be here. Uh, By way of introduction, um, this is going to be a podcast where Brooke shares um, her journey with her emotional health, and it's been a brutal journey. And the target for this podcast are people also that are in the middle of having really difficult um, emotional journeys. And I think what you'll learn from Brooke is how she's navigating this. And and it may our hope is that it gives you hope. And if you're helping someone that's working really hard on their emotional health, that you'll have more tools, more empathy, and more ability to help them. Brooke is a student at BYU. She's graduating in um I believe April of 2021 in health science. And that's going to open the door for her to get a graduate degree, a master's or doctorate in some area, um, nurse practitioner or something else. And so that's a great road that Brooke is pursuing, um, helping people through her work. Brooke grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, My wife is from Houston. We love Houston. She served a mission in Bolivia. Um, She's been home for three years. And I'm going to read um, an email I got um, from somebody I didn't know. Let me just see if I can. um, um, This is from Bishop Brian Stauffer, and he sent this to me in February of 2020. Um, Brooke, your story, this is from um, Brooke's bishop to me, and he copied Brooke on this email. Brooke, your story, your awareness, and your journey has always stood out and impressed me. You are a great communicator, and the things you you have recently learned and taught me could literally help thousands that are suffering. Sorry, the same as you. I know, I know that you and I love. I you, sorry. I know that you know I love you, and I hope you trust me. I feel what Brother Osler as will help you and strengthen your ability to help yourself. I have prayed long and hard as to what I can do to help you. Last night, the words, listen, learn, and love came into my mind as I prayed. When I came to work, those words struck with me, but I did not associate them with anything. As I kneeled in my office for my morning prayers, I stood up, turned on my computer, and the first thing I saw was a Facebook post with the word I had in mind, listen, learn, and love, and a logo that is Richard Osler's podcast logo. That's when it all came together. Brooke, the Lord wants you to visit with Brother Osler. I know that talking to him and others will help so many who are Brother Osler's audience. And so with that, um, Brooke and I have been trading emails, and um, at the end of Brooke's podcast toward the end, we will talk about Bishop Stoffer and and he's been Brooks Bishop since, I believe, October of 2018. So that's well over a year and a half and has had some wonderful experiences that Brooke will share about this good man's role in her life um, and helping her come through dis- difficult things. So I love the words of your bishop saying you will help thousands because 10,000 to 15,000 people will listen to this podcast um, Brooke and I started with prayer, and we pray that the Spirit will be here. And I've had some tears in my eyes as we visited the last 30 minutes, and I'm sitting with somebody who has been through things that I have never heard before and things that are more complex than some of the things I've ever realized were possible for a mortal to face, especially at Brooke's young age. 
And for her to be alive and her to have belief in God and her to have hope in her future, um, the deeply wonderful, courageous woman that she is, I think you'll enjoy her podcast. And I just pray that the things that she has to share will come out to our listeners. Anything from a bio standpoint that you need to need to correct, Brooke? No. <laughs> um, Brooke is uh, part of a family of seven kids. She's one of the youngest kids. Her parents split up, and that's um, some people go through family situations where a father and a mother split up, and sometimes that can lead to really complicated, sort of undiagnosed things that happen in the lives of children. No parent wants that to happen, but sometimes that happens. And that has been one of the parts of Brooke's story. Um, but let's talk about your mission to Bolivia, because that's when some of these things that are perhaps below the surface, sometimes the mission brings that out. Will you just talk about what happened on your mission and what you learned about yourself and some of the emotional things that you faced? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just one clarifying thing. Good. In case my parents do happen to you, they actually are still together. Oh, um, good. They split and then came back together, and that was a several-year process. But That is great news. Yeah. Um, anyways, so... Yeah, so I, I went on a mission uh, growing up, never had the intention to. Uh, kind of grew up playing soccer my entire life, and that's kind of what dominated my domain. Um, uh, but my parents had kind of the idea of going to BYU, and it was that or nothing. Uh, so I applied to BYU. I had a really impactful experience with my patriarchal blessing, and um, at least told me to consider going on a mission. And it was kind of like a, ha God, yeah, I'll tell you, I will consider it, but no guarantees I'll actually go. Um, and within that first kind of semester of being there, I really kind of took it to heart, but wasn't committing myself um, to see if I needed to go. Um, kind of prefacing this a little bit beforehand um, because it impacts kind of my actions later. Um, Anyways, I had kind of been stumbling on this for months um, of what I was going to do. And I remember kind of walking out of the LSB for anyone who goes to BYU Life Science Building, um, just kind of random had a pause standstill moment um, where this question popped into my head where it was my voice, but it wasn't my question. Um, and it stood out very distinctly while I was just kind of looking up at the mountain and it was, are you going to serve a mission? It was my question, but it wasn't. And immediately after the question, I got a response that was mine, but also not mine, but yes, like in all capital letters, very incredibly strong. And I knew that that was a direct answer from God. And even though I had struggled and to have a testimony or really a belief, um, I knew that I had 100% received it and it was the kind of thing where I knew I was going to go, but, um, didn't really know if God was real, but I knew I needed to be there. Um, and that impacted and shifted everything for the next several years. Um, anyways, ended up going on a mission and going to Bolivia, which I felt incredibly, um, connected to, um, 
I guess trying to figure out where to start on that is I ended up going there and feeling like a little bit lost, I think, as everyone does when they first go on a mission. Uh, kind of wondering what you're doing there, how to do it. Are you doing it right? Do you really have a testimony, all of that kind of stuff? And I know I struggled with that. Um, so I kind of went in with a very vulnerable side of me and talk to God every day like my dad and tried to be as vulnerable with him as possible, as real as possible. Like he was sitting right there with me and just talking in conversations. Um, and I, because I wasn't sure about my testimony leaving, all I knew is that I was going to be a good missionary if I loved people, loved the people there with like all of my heart um, and that I was obedient and I knew if I did those two things, I would be a successful missionary. And that really kind of took on the direction of my entire mission. Um, once I started my mission, though, uh, I had been told previously by a friend that I had some anxiety and that I should be careful going on my mission. And I didn't really see how it applied. Um, I had been forewarned. I had his contact throughout the mission um, to reach out to if I hit struggles, things like that. And I ended up hitting struggles, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, tell, sometimes companions can be difficult on missions, Brooke. I had some difficult companions, and that can sort of add to somebody's to anxiety. Did that happen in your situation? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, my first companion, my trainer, uh, she kind of shaped my initi mission initially in a positive way, but she told me um, that you don't get to really choose your companion and that you're going to have difficulties, but you should try really hard to just have charity and not talk to your mission president about them, uh, that you should really work it out between you guys and do everything you possibly can because it's like practice for life. One day when you get married and you have a family, you can't just go complain to your bishop. You can't just go switch spouses um, to really learn to work through them. And if you love people enough, eventually it will come back. Um, and so that's kind of the mentality I had. Um and that was the first companion. And then I had 10 companions throughout my mission. And I only had one white companion. The rest were all Latinas. And Latinas tend to have a little bit more, at least the ones that I had experienced. I know it doesn't apply to everybody. Um, that if they don't like you, they'll show you because it's considered um, not being fake. Um so I had companions on the daily, whether it was because I was from the States or for their own reasons, because of my previous companions, because of their situations. Um, I had several in a row of companions tell me every day of why they disliked me or very passive aggressive comments about how good this other person was and how terrible one of my previous companion companions was and that I was exactly like them. They would shove in kind of comments every day. Um, and then throughout kind of the course of my mission, as I especially kind of started to struggle, um, a, m most of my companions ended up kind of writing to my mission president and speaking really negatively about me. Some of them were true as I was struggling. Some of them completely false because dodging some of their own issues, if they could throw blame on someone else before they could 
get a word in. Um, other people used me as kind of their heroic moment in their mission um, and would say how amazing they're doing, how poorly I'm doing. And anyways, sorry, are you about to say something? I was just going to say, so it's, it sounds like, and like a lot of missionaries have very difficult companion situations mm -hmm. and you were navigating this without much of an owner's manual. You're not able to reach out and kind of share. How did that then impact your emotional health? And what is kind of, um, d did you get a diagnosis at that point or did you understand what, or is that just talk about? Yeah. So this, so at this point, um, I talked to my mission president about like, I emailed him once about feeling like I felt like a candle that was like getting pushed around in the wind. And I wasn't really sure at what point the light was going to go out. Um, I had just really been struggling and he ended up connecting me to a doctor or psychiatrist. I'm not exactly sure. Um, at this point in the mission, I don't know if things have changed. They kind of had one regional psychiatrist. So he was in Peru and he kind of covered all of this part of South America. And so he had like one, one hour, two hour session with me and kind of asked me what was going on, uh, decided it was best to like put me on a medication. Um, and me not really having a lot of options at this time and trying to hope for like the best. I had tried a lot independently, um, agreed and said that that would be a good thing. Um, uh, unfortunately, so I got on the medication and I really tried and he said it can take up to three months. So I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and he would check in with me about once a month, once every six weeks, kind of call in in one of the mornings and be like, how are you doing? And at that point of the day, I was doing fine. And, um, I, when I was doing okay, had a really hard time thinking about all the times that I was struggling because I kept believing that whenever I was doing fine, that it would change, that all the past was in the past and that I could keep uh, going as I was because I was doing good. Um, and usually by the morning, I was fine. Anyways, um, kind of followed up and it would just... Sorry, I'm having a really hard time good. really kind of explaining you're everything. You're doing good, Brooke, and we're here, all our listeners are here as you're... It, and it sounds like um, you're doing the very best you can. You're talking to a therapist. You're working through this. You're having hope that things are going to get better. Um, but it sounds like the anxiety and the depression just are part of your situation and not necessarily being solved through things that we hope would solve complicated things. And we kind of have this narrative sometimes that if we work harder and pray harder, and it seems like you're doing everything you know how to sort of feel better and be able to get into a better spot. And it sounds like it's not that simple. Is that true? Um, definitely. And it's kind of, it's just difficult to really encompass everything that happened during that time. Um, but yeah, so I had got on medications. I had hoped for them to work and it kind of just, the answer kept being just kind of push it back, push it back. Um, I tried to reach out to family who had a really hard under time understanding, tried to give me 
simpler solutions or tell me why they weren't a big deal or just kind of like as a typical missionary would write home and they have struggles, the family kind of responds, kind of help them through encouraging words. Um, I don't know if my family didn't understand the gravity of the situation or what was really kind of going on, but it ended up getting pretty severe and I really didn't have very many people to help. Um, and I didn't really understand it myself because it was right. the first time really ever going through any of this stuff. I really just took it day by day. And I just figured if I loved people enough that that it would work out, that I would be loved back, that my anxiety would go down, that... Um, and at this point, I didn't fully recognize it as anxiety. I just knew I was having a really hard time. Um, and then I ended up hitting this period in my mission. Um, Over a year out? Um, this one was actually pretty early on. This was probably only about six months six out. Six months out. So it was with the companion. Time. Yeah, well, like four and a half months, six months out. This is when I started talking to them. They put me on medication. This is when the effects started happening. I was with that one companion who would talk very kind of negatively about me um, and purposely kind of um, didn't want to touch me kind of thing. Uh, I had started on a medication that had started to make me very um, anxious or very depressed. There can be kind of funky side effects. And this one started it um, where I'd wake up in the morning and I felt like I just wanted to collapse into like this darkness, like a black hole and just like stop existing. Um, but I had so much pressure on me to like keep going that I would get up in the morning and I would try to go sit out and send anything that would help me. And as I would be trying to like sit there and focus, I would just be crying and like shaking. And at this point in my mission, everything that I like, I just kept having really intense, um, kind of symptoms through my head of my brain trying to tell me something was wrong, even though I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. I would imagine things breaking or knives being thrown at a wall or just very distinct imagery or me just jumping off things or hurting myself. And it's never like I ever wanted to do any of those things. My brain would just produce these images that would replay over and over again. Um, and as I'm balancing that and it's, it's scaring myself and not really having people and then the one person that should be there is your companion who's there constantly to kind of receive love from them. And that wasn't really available to me. Um, I tried to pull towards God, just kind of took it day by day until I got to the point where I hit on my mission. And I'm not really sure what caused this. I'm guessing it's just a time lapse um, of reoccurring events. Uh, but I ended up kind of like losing the capability to feel emotion um, from sadness um, to happiness to the spirit. I had completely lost the spirit. And I had gone and told my mission president um, that I couldn't feel the spirit anymore. And that if I was teaching and I couldn't feel the spirit or use the spirit, then essentially all my words were blasphemy because words are words until the spirit testifies of them. And that's why it's called his work and not ours. He's the one who testifies. So if he's not there, I felt like that was the point where I, I shouldn't be there either. And they kind of told me that, well, if you're worthy of the spirit, even if you can't feel it, he's there and he's testifying to the other person. So keep teaching and keep going through. And so I did, and that kind of lasted for about six weeks. Um, 
it was just a pretty uniquely hard experience in my life because every day I would try to imagine things that would trigger emotions. I This one's pretty violent, but this is how severe it got in my head that nothing was working, that I would try to imagine my family or my nieces and nephews, people that I love very dearly, um, kind of taking them up to a firing squad. Worst case scenario I could see of anything ever happening and one by one them each getting killed. And I would try it just to stir something up and it would be nothing. And that was the reality that I lived with every day. And it resulted kind of around the same time I developed insomnia. And um, I was probably sleeping like three hours a night, but I was training at this point. And it's actually probably the quote unquote happiest point of my mission. Uh, one of them uh, that I was with a positive companion, but I, all these things still continued. So it wasn't purely a companion situation. Right. It was impacted and shifted by it, but it was completely externally happening. Um, it w just happened to kind of be affected by some of those factors. Um, it ended up transitioning out. And at what point, I don't really know why it faded, um, but it did. Actually, I do know why it started to fade, which was kind of one of the experiences we talked about earlier. Yeah, share that with our listeners. Um, yeah, so at this point in my mission, I had gotten, I was pretty much empty, um, just felt like a shell of a person is kind of the best way to describe it, um, just like really hollow. And we were on an, uh, an emergency transfer, kind of like a little bit, not transfer, transfer. Uh, exchange just to give my companion a break because I was really starting to struggle um, and I was with one of the other girls and um, at this point I was becoming really indifferent because um, I had tried everything for so long um, that I really wasn't sure how much I was going to be able to like take of it anymore and I got this prompting one of the nights that we were on this exchange it was kind of an unfamiliar house unfamiliar place I got this prompting to read this certain scripture um, kind of hearing it, it was pretty distinct. Um, I was like, we have scripture study in the morning. I'll look at it in the morning. I'll write it down. I'll go check it out. Um, the next morning kind of comes along and my companion due to kind of some sickness had been in bed. So my studies, I was kind of isolated inside the house and it allowed me to kind of have some scripture study aside alone. And I got that following impression to go and read that scripture um, I was like, okay, sure. Um, so I go sit down, kind of do my normal thing. Um, and I read it and it was somewhere in Alma. I don't remember the scripture anymore, but for some reason it like was, it kind of hit this, it felt like a ripping. Um, I kind of described it earlier when we were talking as I felt like there was like a veil in between me and like my emotions. Um, that had just blocked everything for weeks. And I just felt like this rip and I kind of thought upon its words. And I thought about some of the agony, um, that the person in the scripture had been feeling and been reflecting on that others and the gospel and that kind of stuff have felt pain. And I kind of walked over to the window, like I said, kind of alone to myself. And I had like, looked out to one of the mountains there and just kind of reflected a standstill moment of my life and absorbed the area around me. And I thought about it and kind of that exact moment, 
it felt like that little tear had ripped open and I had, I heard kind of a voice in my head, um, a feeling of, it was a feeling, but also words, but not quite a voice that was very strong that, and also very soft, um, that told me that he was really aware of me, that he was aware of everything that had happened. And it kind of flashed back to everything that had happened over those last several months and all of the pain. And this is now a year into my mission um, that I had gone through and experienced and that he was aware and that he, like, he is real, that he knows everything that had happened and that for, like, it had settled at the point that that was okay and that was the way it was supposed to be. Um, but knowing that he had sent me there, knowing that I was supposed to be there, knowing that everything that I had kind of gotten to and I had begged him um, as I was going out and I had struggled with my testimony that at some point, if I gave him my all, my entire heart, my ever being, no matter how much it cost me, um, if he would give me knowledge so that there was a purpose for all of that. And um, it was a really simple answer, but it was, I am here and I am aware of you. And after not feeling anything for several weeks to hear a voice and to feel it, to feel something, it was kind of a humbling experience because like, well, Brooke, all of those other things you've tried, all these earthly ways, all these other things that you could do, um, they didn't, they didn't change it. They didn't cure it. But like, I am here and I am greater than all of those other things because I am God. Um, but he also didn't change it. His point wasn't to tell me that he was going to change it. Um, but to let me know that he was God and that he was there and that he was present. And there definitely came a certain comfort. And it was a turning point, um, almost as there was more hope. There was a different perspective of everything. I knew that I no longer was alone through everything that I was going through. And he became more of my best friend through everything that I was working through. All of a sudden, it wasn't I was this crazy, broken person. It was I was going through something and he knew it was, and it was part of it, and that he had still asked me to be there, and that I could still be productive, and I could still love, and I could still make an impact. Um, and he ended up really showing me, like, the goodness of God by the end of my mission. Um, so it wasn't all a failure. Um, it was some pretty hard lessons, but I think that came for a very distinctive purpose that really kind of set me up for the next several years, um, and really created a connection between me and God, um, that could never be broken. And maybe it took me as stubborn as I am getting to that kind of point to finally hear him and finally trust him. Um, yeah. Um, you said some really cool things in those last five to 10 minutes um, that really impacted me. Your imagery of a second veil is something I've never heard anybody describe, but I love that. We obviously know the veil that kind of is the mortal veil when we leave pre-mortal life, but I love your description of sort of this veil of your emotional health that kept your body from feeling right. So when you talk about, I couldn't feel the spirit to me, I'm not clinically trained. To me, that's your brain does lacks the chemicals to feel anything. 
And so there was something physiologically going on inside of you. It wasn't a spiritual weakness. It wasn't something you were doing to, that you could fix. It's the way chemically your body was was responding at that point that kept this second veil that kept you from being able to feel the spirit. And I love where you're pretty honest that you wanted to feel something so bad that you imagined the worst possible situation just because you could feel. And to me, that's not, that's just, everybody wants to feel. That's why I realize people sometimes cut themselves or hurt themselves. They want to just feel or change their pain to a different. But then I love this experience you had with God. Um, who's not always there. That's part of your story is these are pretty infrequent experiences you're having. It's not like this happens every week and they're really random and they're very spread out as we hear more of your story. But I love the, some of the words you use, Brooke, that I am aware and the feeling then you're not alone and the increased hope. But I also love your honest and that this is who you are and this is who you're meant to be, and you're not broken. It's brutal. <laughs> um, and you wonder why I didn't lift it. But then I love the hope he gave you and the, after that. And so the pro I call it our, our primary class God that's pretty simple and always there and answers our prayers. And then the God that you're learning to grow close to that is harder to figure out sometimes. <laughs> um and it's not because we've sometimes pulled away. It's often just our mortal journey and his role in our life that's sort of the, for the long term. That's a beautiful experience um, in a really, really hard spot. Um, is it okay if we go past your... Yep. I'm going to ask yeah, you a I'm question. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question right now. If, if you could go back and talk to yourself on your mission. So you've been on your mission three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be a long conversation. So what would be the, if you could go back to your darkest days of your mission, being three years removed, what would you say to yourself? And this is like you talking to others that are really dark spots. What would you say? That is a really, really hard one. Um, because honestly, I feel like if I had gone back to those exact same situations, um, I was really trying my hardest at right. that time every day that with the knowledge I had, I don't know if I really could have done any better. Agreed. It's more, what would you um, do to give yourself right. hope? I think really trying to tell myself that, um, it's a really hard one. I wish I would know the impact, um, the love that I had left there, um, what it had made. And I've seen some of those fruits of my labors now, but at the time I didn't. So a lot of times I was really analyzing um, kind of like my internal struggle and whether it was good enough, whether I was good enough as a missionary, as a companion, and all of these external things that kind of added on to all of the stuff I was experiencing. I wish I could have just told myself just, you know, you will get through this. And the love of those people is the most important thing. And you're not alone. And help me realize 
I love that, Brooke. Yeah, I just felt, I wish I could push myself to feel more that God loved me before I, it came to the year mark. Um, and I think it happened the way it did for a reason, but really encourage myself to feel loved and then love others because it's the whole point of the whole thing that you're doing. Um, and you did mention your efforts to love others. Yeah. And and where was and sort of where was God in that at times for you? And as you were doing your best to love others, I you know one of the things I hope I'm not interrupting you, but I, oh, so many blessings I gave to YSAs when I was a YSA bishop, I felt impressed often to go back to their mission, even though they wouldn't even talk about it, and and let them know that God accepted their mission and they did far more good on their mission than they realized at the time. And sometimes we measure it by baptisms or statistics, but a lot of the good I felt that missionaries did on their mission that I felt in these blessings didn't ever show up on that kind of a report. Oh, definitely not. And, definitely not. And they would never even know the totality of their service until the next life. But over time, some of that, it sounds like that's come your way. You've had more understanding of the people showing love that you've helped them in a way that you didn't realize at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I knew my goal was to love people. Um, and sometimes that almost felt like a failure <laughs> in a weird way in the mission, whether it's numbers, whether whatever it is, whether you have an appointment, I kind of did my thing a little bit differently. Um, someone told me before I served my mission that what would get you to change your religion or like to go be something else. And I said, nothing. Um, he's like, no, really, really, what would you? And I said, nothing. Um, he's like, what if it was your mom? What if it was your dad? What if it was one of your friends that you had known for 10 years that you respected and loved so much? Um, would you listen, even just give them a second to hear them honestly with open ears? And I was like, maybe if those people, I don't know if I would, but I would at least have my heart open enough to potentially receive. And he's like, why are these people any different? And the only way to develop those kind of connections is to love them. And it's time and it's family and it's building those things and not just words. The spirit testifies of all of it, but to get into that heart and into that home to where they, they are more open to receive. The spirit is definitely there, but it takes a lot of, in my opinion, love. And that's how I served my mission. Um, whether that went over the 45 minute window mark or whether that means someone needed just an extra little bit of help or whether you pulled in another direction and that made you late for an appointment. Um, that's kind of how I lived my mission. Um, and by the end of it and by everything, um, I've seen that love hit others and then spread and spread into their families and them into the gospel. And I feel like when I was there, I created my spiritual family. And there's a part in my blessing that talks about after this life, I'll be reunited with all of those that I got to love and serve in this world. And I've had certain moments where I've looked back and be like, you know what? They are part of my eternal family that I will be reconnected with afterwards. That was the part that mattered. You know, that that was the building and that I know that one day we'll be reunited and there will be a joyous feeling of reconnection. Um, whether I saw all of it, whether those are people that I don't know, and I do know some of them, I believe, to be part of that. But I think we'll all rejoice in uh 
just rejoice in that one day. And knowing that now, maybe I didn't see that as much then, I can feel it now to my core. And that's helped me to look back and see a purpose behind everything that I went through. And it didn't end in my mission, but it helped some of those feelings of anger or neglect or um, depression that kind of came from all of that stuff. Because when I came home, I was I was empty. Um, I didn't feel connected to my family. I felt like I had almost gone through war. And you had. Yeah, and no one had experienced it with me. So I was there, but I didn't feel like they were really my family. I felt like they were people. Um, it had just left me empty by the end of it. And I still pushed on. You still have your day-to-day -day things, but I had left a significant difference. And kind of through time, I've worked through that. And what I keep going back to on that anchor is that purpose, that love, that joy, that eternal family that you're creating that isn't your blood, but they're still all of your brothers and sisters and having a knowledge that um, that's why you went on top of knowing that God was real, um, that that's actually a thing and he's in your life, um, but that those people and their eternal lives all played a part of that really helped turn it from a hard note in my life to kind of a lighter note that I look back on that fills my heart with happiness. I no longer kind of look back on my mission um, with hard feelings. I know what went wrong. I know what could have been improved. Um, I wish I could have, could have looked back and be like, you know what? Those guys are actually jerks. <laughs> you know, like there are certain situations that good. Yeah. It's, it's not, you it's were okay. struggling with certain things. Um, and they probably didn't handle it the best, but they were also probably doing the best that they could because they've never experienced anything like that either. Cause those that are uneducated in mental health are often intimidated. They're scared. Um, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle you. Um, and, and in those moments, it's often when you need love the most and it's precisely when people step away, um, you know, and so, but it's changed. It's definitely changed since that day till now. And it's a totally different outlook on where I was post mission, you know, I love no one's ever talked in my life about what you just said, creating this spiritual eternal family um, through people you love and how that was part of your, promised in your patriarchal blessing. And then throughout your, your mission in Bolivia, and I would think this is part of your life mission, Brooke, is, and sometimes when I give these blessings to YSAs and I've been released, I would feel some of those impressions that there's this, on the other side of the veil, there's an, a great sort of veil lifting, so to speak, and you become aware of those people that you've loved and the and this I've never but I love what you said it creates a spiritual family of connectedness and I think it's just one of the great paydays for um, your service that doesn't show up anywhere and and people don't understand that and um, but I just admire I just think that's part of your journey and I think this brutal road with emotional health is part of that um, I'm going to skip ahead a yeah. little bit and mm -hmm. maybe then you can give the backstory, but your emotional health, I like the way you said you came home empty. And I think that's just honest. I don't yeah. think that means you didn't do a good job or it's just the reality of this. And I like you to use the word war. 
because I would say it's like war. And I would say there's some level of PTSD that came out of that experience because you were giving everything, and it's sometimes giving everything felt opposite of the balm of Gilead um, versus people didn't know how to handle your situation or people that added to your load. So I think you come home um, empty and that, and your core emotional health is probably still needs to be addressed. And so I'm jumping ahead and then you can kind of tell the story that led up to this, but a really important thing happened in November of 2019. You got genetic testing. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us what genetic testing is and then tell us how that helps you with your emotional health. Yeah. So kind of tying in just a little bit before, um, how we talked about how kind of physiologically, for some reason, it feels like the spirit is cut off and it's not necessarily feels like sometimes it to me in my past, it has been. Um, and I had post coming home, I had gotten off medications, put on other medications. I had felt like the spirit had been cut off or my ability to feel had been cut off um, or I could feel a little bit, but I wasn't feeling joy anymore. Um, I couldn't feel extreme sadness, but, and it also took away the spirit. And I had tried several different things, whether it was getting off because they weren't helping, getting desperate enough to the point where I had to get back on them to counseling, to them not helping, to no counseling. kind of went through this whole cycle, um, ended up getting on a, hitting a point of my life that was particularly the hardest about two years post mission. And at this point I was pretty unstable, um, kind of flip flopping back and forth in these kind of waves of high intensity. And it kind of felt each time it was hitting, it was getting worse. Um, and the period between them was getting shorter, and went into one of my doctors. She ended up bringing up the genetic testing, um, but insurance most of the time doesn't pay for it. And this genetic testing essentially gives you all the different kinds of medications and all the different subcategories that they could impact you from like anxiety, depression, to whether it is pain, musculoskeletal reactions to pain, whether it's schizophrenia, the whole range, the whole spectrum, um, and how medications impact your body specifically. Um, and I'd gone through so many that it was so hard to tell which one would help because it was just hit or miss. And then you're wasting another six months testing an idea. And my nurse practitioner suggested it. And initially, um, because insurance doesn't cover it. It's like, I can't afford it. I don't have $500. I'm a college student. I don't, I can't just, that's an entire month's rent. And I live paycheck to paycheck, trying to work all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and she's like, okay, if you don't want to do this now, like, let's keep this in mind. If you can make it work, let's try to, but if you can't, I understand we'll try this other medication. Um, so I tried that one. This one was probably the worst for me. Um, I had gone on these kind of quick cycles. Um, They tried to diagnose me as type two bipolar for rapid cycling from highs to lows. Um, And when I was in in each point, I couldn't remember the other. And it resulted in panic attacks and then kind of accelerating rates of panic attacks um, to the point I was getting them every day. Um, uh, really hit my old time low, not just from anxiety to really deep depression, um, to feeling like you mentioned earlier, something else, 
Um, I didn't want to hurt my physical body because I knew God um, made it and that it's special. I didn't want to damage what he had created, but I felt this urge for pain. Um, my body was just trying to get some kind of outlook, whether that I particularly get it in my arms, but like grabbing, hurting. Um, I had gotten to the point of like poking with needles um, that I had access to at work and that I knew couldn't hurt me. They couldn't hit anything deep enough. They weren't designed for that kind of thing but something, my body needed it. And for some reason it was like a relief and it ended up really kind of escalating though, that need for pain to panic attacks to the point where I no longer felt safe um, to live by myself anymore. Um, I was dating one person at the time. There was no one else in my family that was really involved in this. I'd tried to reach out. Um, and essentially they just kept telling me it wasn't real. And I could feel very much so that it was real. Um, anyways, and I couldn't be at home anymore. And my therapist ended up trying to tell me, like, you should go to the hospital if this happens again. You should do these kind of things. Like, And I was so dependent on medications that would stop panic attacks because they were so frequent that eventually I hit this breaking point that I knew if I didn't reach out or do the genetic test, I didn't know if I was still going to be there anymore. I had really tried as hard as I could, but I was just, I, the only way I could describe it to other people is feeling like your soul, like your soul inside you, like that tiny film, but is your entire identity is being like ripped to shreds every single day, like ripped and twisted and you just feel it inside you. And it's just like an agony, um, that we finally did the genetic test, um, my family kind of stepped in at that point, um, did that for me, and about two weeks got the result back. There was about like 70% of medications, if not more. It had, it's one page all about anxiety medications, the whole right side column, the entire page was filled from top to bottom of medications that did not work for me. And all of them said um, like CYP dot like the exact gene. Um, and then UA, which means an ultra metabolizer. So my liver was processing everything too quickly. So it just about every single medication on that list, which was most of them and every single one I had tried previously, um, had really drastic physiological effects, mental effects. Um, and on the left side, there was a column of six medications that did work for me. Um, and I had never tried any of those before. Um, that was probably the thing that actually changed my life um, completely. And if there's one thing, like you said, could tell yourself going back, I wish the day I stepped off the mission field that I could have taken that genetic test. I don't know if it was around back then, um, but I went through a lot, several years of pain that I thought was me trying to get better was actually me trying to get better was actually hurting me, causing more instability, believing more things about myself and creating this torrent essentially that was ripping like through my life. Um, and then I got on the right medication, one of them that does work for me. And it was the kind of like this magical process. Um, that started happening within a couple of weeks. It didn't heal immediately. Within a couple of weeks, I could, 
I felt like the same waves would come to hit me. But all of a sudden, I, it was like there's like oil on your shoulders or something. They just slip off a little bit easier. Um, the same issues, the same things. But all of a sudden, you're like a little bit stronger. That The you that's always been there is capable. Um, it's just not quite as heavy as a load. And it kind of brings it down to more realistic point. And then within the next kind of couple of months, um, I've felt... Um, like a completely different person. I feel like I'm like my inner self has been like set free and my ability to be happy and approach life and enjoy life is distinctly different. Um, and that was probably the biggest blessing, biggest life changer, game changer for my entire life, for my future, um, was specifically that genetic test. And it doesn't mean it's all perfect. It's all fixed. I've still hit waves. I'm still kind of in a disposition to hit these kinds of things based on how I'm hardwired. Um, but they're a lot more infrequent. I can handle them better. I have more tools in my tool belt. I have therapy and people around me that help me kind of get through those things. Um, and so it's something I've kind of had to accept in my life that it's a part of me. Um, but it doesn't ruin my worth either. It's still really hard. Um, I had this one experience I'll share real quick. Um, kind of after all of this stuff happened was really, really hard. Um, really impacted me spiritually after a while. Um, I had gotten pretty angry at God, um, had left, felt abandoned. This had been months of ongoing, um, pain. Post-mission. Post-mission, Yeah. Um, kind of running up close to where that genetic test was. And I held a lot of kind of anger inside. Um, and I had this kind of special moment as I had been, I knew I wasn't supposed to be angry at God. You see a million times and you hear it in primary, you're like, oh, this person got angry in God and turned their back on him. And like, are you supposed to do that? Absolutely not. You know, God does things for your benefit. You know the logic behind it, but it doesn't take away the feelings of hurt and pain. And so I knew that, and I knew that I would have to work through it. I just wasn't ready to yet. Um, and eventually, as I kind of was working through it, um, I had this moment where I realized and kind of connected a bunch of these pieces. I feel like God gave me like this little glimpse, um, almost like a feeling, but almost like a sneak peek of what happened before we came down here of God kind of sitting me down and telling me, what were going to be some of the things that I would struggle with specifically talking about anxiety and depression, um, and what it would mean and, ex and not hiding what it was and telling me what this life would mean and all that I would have to go through in blatant kind of form. And that after we had talked about it and everything, the only emotion that was present in my spirit at that time was joy. Um, was joy. Yeah. Um, and I don't know everything about God's plan at all. And I know we don't understand most of it as we're going through it. And I know we go through a lot of really hard things that are really hard for each one of us. Um, but I do know that when I was there and knowing all of this and thinking about all of this pain that I've suffered, that me knowing all of that 
with clear eyes was joyous to come here and have this experience um helped me feel more accepting of everything that was to come because it reminded me that or helped me feel not just logically words but helped me feel that this life is so much bigger and so much more powerful than the pains we feel no matter how dark they are um <laughs> that for some reason yeah I was still joyous that that in scale is almost nothing to compare to the joy that we will feel and then what this actually is um and as I've gone through hard times again in the future I kind of look back to those moments and remember like I was joyful I felt it I could feel it in my soul that I had joy um and it kind of just gives me a little bit more strength to get through those hard times to know that this journey is not over and uh, that I'm going to have a long life on this earth and that everything hard that I do go through is still beautiful. Um, and it's kind of helped me kind of look at things from a more positive angle as well as I kind of call myself like an ultra feeler. <laughs> um, I feel other people's pain and hurt and happiness and joy of complete strangers like very intensely. Um, it makes my anxiety really bad sometimes when I cause pain to others or um, watching my actions cause damage or consequences. It hurts a lot, but at the end of the day, um, I feel like it's a strength that even though I go through all of these really hard things, it also means that I can love very deeply. And that's exactly why God put me here and that I wouldn't have compassion and I wouldn't have love and I wouldn't have understanding um, if I hadn't also felt pain. Um, and that there's so many people out here in this world that really truly need to be loved, that don't feel loved. Um, I also feel super, very intensely um, that God loves his children so much. And it's so easy for me to feel for other people, hard for you to feel when you're going through things. That's also a huge reason why I'm here today. Because um, I really know what it feels like to have your soul ripping and not know why or where to go or what to do. Um, but I do know that he loves you and there are other people who can relate and that can pull together to understand and help each other get through these things. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear it when you go through it, but you get to also be a light for other people. Um, and it kind of helps um, get through things a little bit easier um, and manage that it is a blessing and a curse. Uh, but uh but if you're someone going through something like that, you will also be able to help people who feel a very similar pain. Because um, unfortunately, there's also a lot of people who don't understand, um, have never felt anything like it, and they can't wrap their mind around it. Because it just, I think the brain's funny. I think our bodies are funny. And I don't know why we're all different. I don't know why our souls are all different. It's what makes us beautiful, but also can be frustrating when you go through things, whether it's family or whether it's friends, whether it's people close to you that can't fathom 
mental health. They can't fathom depression. They can't fathom anxiety or why it happens or to the depth and pain that it happens. But there are others that do who can lift and help others through those things. That's a beautiful segment, Brooke. I wish everybody in the church could hear that. <laughs> um, I love your use of the word joy, and I love you going to sort of the edge of mortality and seeing your life and seeing all the difficult things you face, but somehow in that, with that eternal perspective that comes with the pre-mortal life having joy. And I, I just, that's another consistent impression I get when I meet people that are going through very difficult times is that God was with them in the pre-earth life is, and they kind of jointly saw that road together. And God sometimes got big tears in his eyes because he knew somebody he cared about so much would be on such a difficult road. But that person somehow knew that this would stretch them in, in ways that no other experience would stretch them and their ability to help others would be enhanced. And they felt joy. And they probably felt a lot of fear wondering, you know, what would this road be like? I also feel your husband is going to have joy as he gets to know you. And, and that's talking to you and all the people out there going through hard things that may think no one will love me. If they know all this stuff about me, if they know, I've have struggles with mental health, I've been suicidal at times, I've cut myself at times. No one will ever love me. No one will ever see the true me. And I'm speaking to you, Brooke, as well as other people, that I think people will love you. I think your future husband will love this about you. He won't see you as broken. He won't see you as weak. He won't want this part of you to go away. I think he recognizes this, what makes the beauty of you, you. And the kind of wife and mother and person to love other people in this spiritual eternity that you're developing that he wants to be a part of. And he will recognize you'll be able to help your future kids in ways. Um, so I think there'll be great joy in that. Um, but I love the way you own this part about you and can talk about it. You're a really good communicator. I love this idea of oil that somehow this genetic testing is relieving because you recognize it wasn't me being weak. It was just, this is physiologic or biologically my, my high functioning liver. It didn't work. And now you found stuff that worked and you're feeling the waves haven't gone away, but the oil, the protection gives you just enough. And I love the hope in that. Talk about, um, you haven't talked too much of this, but adults in your life have sometimes let you down. Um, my, I'm a parent. I'm sure I've let my kids down at times. Church leaders have let us down at times, perhaps a mission president, perhaps God. And so you have kind of this spotty track record with adults in your life, and that would make you guarded. And I'm going to, this is leading up to bravely walking the tithing settlement with Bishop Stauffer in October of 2018. Just talk us about your mindset walking into tithing settlement and what happened at that and any of the backstory you want to give leading up to tithing settlement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, just, I mean, kind of growing up, like I said, I, I was not one of those people I would hear kind of women go up on the Testament. I'm like, I am so glad to have the priesthood in my home. 
that never meant anything to me growing up. Um, most of my kind of uh, childhood, uh, because of my parents and everything that had happened, we didn't have priesthood in our household. So I never saw it, quote unquote, in action. I would see people getting baptized at church or baby blessings, things like that. Um, but I never, never felt an impact of the priesthood. And I think with that, unfortunately, also came, comes a little bit of lack of understanding and also respect for what it is, um, as well as kind of going in on my mission, um, having church leaders around me, um, starting, kind of, well, not starting, but specifically maybe leading up to that mission president, you know, as you suffer and you're going through things and he should be kind of the, the patriarch of everybody. You know, he should have the priesthood and the keys to look after you. Um, and I had met with him and he never really grasped or understood, um, which I can't blame him for, but I, I have seen people want to understand. I have seen them want to reach out. Um, and I've received blessings of, from people that I felt like were, you know, blessings of relief, um, or comfort that had zero impact. It was, it didn't feel specifically like they were words for me. They're almost for words from that person to me, but not from God, which you can appreciate. But if I'm going to have a blessing, I, it's, I want it to be God's voice to me. When I come to the point of a blessing, I want, um, I want me and God to have like an open line, like a telephone right there that he can talk to me and direct me. Um, uh, cause in those instances, I usually don't take them for little things. It's usually, um, pretty hard things that I had been going through for me to kind of get to that point to reach out. And so I've been very particular on who I trust, um, to do that. Um, one of these instances happened to be, Let's see, I got home 2017. This is like, it's like a year and a half later. Yeah, but a year and a half later, um, I had been dating someone who wasn't really in the church. Uh, and was that was a big conflict for things for a while. And kind of unintentionally over time had picked up a lot of those things. And I felt like my spirituality had kind of um, dropped significantly. Um how I felt about things, my habits, the stuff that was important to me, um, the covenants I had made had kind of slipped and faded. Um, and after I, we had kind of finished dating, I started going back to my own ward because I had previously been going to his to try to encourage him to be there. Um, and as that kind of faded away, I thought I had been doing so well that I was uplifting someone else. In reality, I, uh, I'd stepped very far from where I once was. Um, and I kind of was left alone to reflect on that. And I went back to my ward and I, I'd previously, previously known Bishop Stoffer and I call him Bishop Corazon. I don't know if he knows that that's hard in Spanish. Um, and sometimes I actually forget his real name because in my head, in my world, he is Bishop Corazon because he is a walking eminence of like Christ's love. And I had felt compliment. that. Hmm? What a compliment. Yeah. And I had felt that and I had felt um, just simply kind of being around him, a very positive feeling and light around him. And I 
ended up having to go into his office at one point. I knew that I needed to talk to him. I knew that I had things to work through. I just didn't want to face any of them. I didn't want to deal with any of that. I'd kind of had previous experiences that I was tired of kind of going through, bearing my soul, almost letting it kind of end up with nothing um, and in the same kind of cycles. Um, but he he got me with the tithing settlement. <laughs> Uh, the yearly things that we have to go around and do at BYU. Um, usually bishops have kind of a list of people they go through. It's about 10 minutes. How are you doing on tithing? That kind of stuff. Um, and I walked in kind of as normal. There was appointments before me. There were appointments after me. Um, I walked in the room and I was, I was nervous kind of, of just this weight I had been carrying with me. I didn't expect anything to really come of it in there, but it's hard to be infronted with a bishop leadership as you know you, you're carrying that weight and you want to talk about it, but you don't. And I walked in that room, don't feel like any of that was very apparent, but he looked at me and the whole room shifted. The feeling of the air, everything had just shifted completely. And as I had sat down, I just felt like he looked at me, but when he was looking at me, he was almost like looking at my soul. Like he almost got like a very direct message from God to pause what he was doing. And um, <laughs> he was just like, so like, how are you doing? Shifted it completely. Um, talking about my life and that kind of thing. And he's like, Brooke, I don't know why, but I feel very strongly that God has a message for you and that he wants to talk to you as his daughter. Um stopped everything. Um, he's like, and that he loves you so much. He's like, but he has something he wants to tell you. And up until this moment, it was kind of like the, the thickness of the, the spirit in the room is like, I knew what his, what he was saying was true. He didn't want to make me feel better or anything. He just, he had this really strong impression and I know that I needed to hear from God. Um, so I like allowed him to do a blessing and, uh, and kind of like the moment he put his hands on my head, um, and when he started speaking, it left me in awe, um, I suppose, because everything I had been thinking recently, everything, it had connected in a way that this bishop would never, ever know, um, and I don't even remember the details of the blessing anymore or what he said. Um, I just remember sitting down in tears afterwards. Um, and I told um, those closest to me leaving that um, I just had to tell someone this experience that I, I had felt like through that blessing uh, that like almost as if like, Bishop Stauffer was directly his mouthpiece, was God's mouthpiece that like if Jesus Christ was specifically in the room with me, talking with me face to face, not a single word, not a single word of that entire thing would have changed. Not, not a single point. Like, um, I felt like my savior was there talking to me. And I felt like God put me in the way of Bishop Stauffer because for some reason our souls communicate in the same way um, that he was so sensitive to exactly what I needed because of the heart and what he has and his ability to hold the spirit 
that when I needed him, that God had kind of placed us together, that he could be there in the exact moment that I needed. Um, and he's acted as kind of uh, God's hand in my life now for about a year and a half on and off. He he has had other people in his ward struggle with similar things. And he is a man that's very sensitive to mental health. And I think it's taken a very special heart uh, spot in his heart. And it's really hard for me in my life to feel like someone cares about me. Um, and I can just feel that exude from him, how much he cared and loved for us, for our well-being. It wasn't church. It wasn't, um, our attendance, it wasn't anything else beyond our souls and our pain and what we were going through and that he wanted us to know that we were loved and that we were God's children and that that was by far the most important thing. And I felt that every single time, no matter how many times I've gone into and what we've talked about, the different struggles, the different waves from the highs to lows, um, he is a walking example of like charity and love, which is, makes a huge difference for those um, that really need it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I hope my mic's working, listeners. I can't hear myself. I can hear Brooke really well through my headphones. So I hope you're hearing me, but it's more important to hear Brooke anyway. I love what Bishop Stoffer said in his email to me just going to read this. Um, your awareness and your journey has always stood out and impressed me. You are a great communicator. And the things you have re recently learned and taught me could literally help thousands. Um, Brooke, I know you, uh, I, I know you work a lot. I know your journey is sacred to you, but please consider helping others in this podcast opportunity. And so I, I'm struck with Bishop Stoffer and I'm struck with you. And I'm feeling of Heavenly Father brought you two together and you needed somebody like that. And you've had choppy waters with adults in your life. Um, and it would be logical to be reserved and kind of hold back. And for me as a YSA bishop, um, tiding something was stressful because I would meet with a lot of YSAs and it would be usually just short increments of time. And there's a schedule side of my personality that wants to keep everything on schedule. And that would probably mute my ability to act on spiritual impression. So for him to sort of say, this isn't tithing settlement today. This is um, Brooke Brady and yeah. my chance to get to know Brooke Brady and how that then turned into this sacred um, priesthood blessing and your feelings. It's um, a credit to him. It's a credit to you. And it's a great home run ministering experience where sometimes we get so programmed in with our visits and checking a box that we forget this. We don't allow the spirit to have the flexibility to act on us to do what God wants us to do. And I love that he had that flexibility and it, you have this very good priesthood leader in your life that is somebody you trust. And I'm grateful for him. Um, we're kind of coming to the end of a podcast that should be a three-hour podcast, but um, other things you'd like to share. I think one thing I'd love to ask you, unless you have anything else, is just your thoughts for other people walking really difficult roads with their emotional health and things that you'd like to share with them that give them hope. I kind of think um, 
the first thing as I've kind of gone through all of this, uh, I do have friends close to me who I see hurt. Um, I think it's really okay to accept that you're in pain and that you're not weak. And sometimes um, we can hurt and not understand why. And even if you're trying, it's not weakness to um, try to solve those that... Um, Counseling isn't weakness. Medication isn't weakness. Um, we have all of those things in our life for a reason. I used to think medication was a huge weakness. I was embarrassed by it. That's why I would get off of it and then try a different one and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the peace I found in my life after doing those things, um, I wish I would have done it a long time ago. And you can't ever push anyone to do it. It's in their own time schedule and when they get there. Um, but no matter what you're going through, um, that you, that it's, it doesn't mark who you are as a person in any way, I guess would be the best way to say it. I think we often internalize that and we put it on ourselves and we, determine our value or our worth based on the things that we go through and it's just completely false and it's a lie we tell ourselves very often and it causes so much pain um that we don't have to go through because it's it's something it's a lie <laughs> um no matter how real it feels um and that you do have value innately by being here and being placed here and being one of God's children, we have value, even if we don't feel it. Like my mission president said a really long time ago, even if you can't feel the spirit and you're worthy of it, you have it. And I, I know that was true. And I struggled to feel it at that time. And I think I have struggled very often in my life to feel, to feel valuable, to feel loved, to feel capable, to not feel broken. Cause I just thought I was, and I had, ex I had accepted that. Um, um, but know very much so that you are loved. Um, even if it's by people like me that you don't know, um, I have such a love for everyone who goes through things and is struggling. Um, and I wish that I could personally interact with every single one of those people so that they knew there was at least one person who cared so that they're not alone. Um, because I think we're all kind of linked together through some of this, too. Um, I think if some people suffer together and they love together and can be a community. And I, I just hope each one of you can each find someone that you find safe to reach out to, um, whoever that may be, um, and hold them as your rock and really work on believing that you are valuable um, despite everything that happens and finding that as truth and really trying to believe it, not just say it, but find that belief in your heart. And it, it helps really shift things from there. Thank you, Brooke. I changed microphones and I can hear myself better. <laughs> so I hope you heard me earlier in this podcast, but, um, Brooke, on behalf of all of our listeners, you are strong, courageous, really excellent communicator. I hope you understand your ability to communicate your story 
and some of the visual imagery you brought into your story, like the second veil and like waves coming at you and the oil that protects you, you just did that all spontaneous. And I think it's one of your spiritual gifts is to communicate and to communicate very difficult emotional feelings in a way we can understand. I think that's part of your unique life ministry is the way you talk about emotional journey allows us better to understand it. Um, and and your personal relationship with God and and these experiences that you have are just enough to sustain you. Um, this podcast will help thousands. And I think it's part of a, an, a door opening where you will continue to share your story. It may not be every day and every week and every month, but I think they will continue because we need stories like you're sharing. It's part of us growing and improving our church culture and coming together as the body of Christ and supporting each other. And I think it will bring you great joy for the rest of the life in the way that you're able to heal other people through your story. Um, will you give, I think you're fine with people knowing your email address. Yeah, will you absolutely. give your email address out so if anybody wants to contact you, they can? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I'll say it out first and then I'll spell it because part of it's a little tricky. Um, so it's Brooke with an E period Araceli at gmail.com. So B-R-O-O-K-E dot A-R-A-C-E-L-I at gmail.com. And I really would love, I know I'm not the best at sometimes explaining and sometimes there's so much of a web that it gets hard, um, but if you ever had any questions to see if it's anything similar to something you're going through or you want to reach out or you want someone to talk to, um, I would love to hear from anyone who feels that need or feel that urge or was thinking about it during this time. Um, I would love to be a part of your network and um, whatever big or small of a piece that needs to be. On behalf of all of our listeners out there, many that had tears in their eyes during this podcast and many that are full of hope in unique ways for the first time. Um, thank you, Brooke Brady, for being on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Mm -hmm.